Welcome to Stack Trace, the podcast that is all about life and technology from two developers' perspectives. And those two developers are me, John Sundell, and my good friend, Mr. Guy Rambo. How's it going, Mr. Rambo? Hi, John. Long time. Long time no speak, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. like we mentioned on the previous episode, this is going to be a pre-recorded episode, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be a boring one or something like that. But we just want to be very honest with you about that, because if there was some big breaking news in the last week and we're not going to react to it, well, this is why. Exactly. But don't worry if the news was an event next week, then no matter what, we're doing an emergency recording. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're bringing you back from vacation, Rambo, and doing an emergency recording. That's how dedicated we are to Stack Trace. Yeah, emergency poker. <laughs> emergency poker. I like it. So we have this topic that we've been wanting to talk about for a while, and we think this would be actually the perfect episode to discuss this topic on. And that is to try to imagine what the SDK and the kind of developer-facing APIs and the technology stack might look like for Apple's upcoming, or rumored, but we can probably say upcoming at this point, <laughs> AR, VR devices. I say devices there because we who knows, maybe there will be multiple ones, probably, right? There will probably not just be one and then never any other again. So... This is interesting, I think, because there has been some leaks recently regarding something called Reality OS, which we previously heard about as ROS, and there's been other speculations around it. And it seems to be a another flavor or another kind of extension of iOS that these new AR, VR products might be running. So we just thought it would be fun to just speculate about what do we think the third-party developer environment will look like for these new devices. Absolutely. Yeah, so to contextualize, recently someone found in, I think it was on the LLVM codebase, right, which is on GitHub, there was a commit pushed by Apple's system. So they now host officially their open source projects on GitHub, the ones that you used to have to download from opensource.apple.com. And there was a commit, and uh, within that commit, you had in there, like, if platform reality OS, if platform reality simulator. So, yeah, pretty much can say that it's confirmed that <laughs> Apple has uh, a, an OS for some sort of reality hardware, and we could speculate on what it's going to be called, but we won't, because that's not interesting here, but... Yeah, it's a it's a given. It's going to come up at some point. And I think the fact that it's appeared in open source code in that way means that it's reached a level within the company where you don't need special disclosure anymore in order to be working on this. Again, like I, I I'm not at Apple. I don't know how those things work, but I suspect that for the longest time that was a huge ultra secret projects and then now maybe it's surfacing up to other areas of the company that normally wouldn't have known about it so far. Yeah, and from that we can kind of infer or speculate that a release might not be imminent, but it's at least getting closer, right? And this has yeah. been a product or a series of products that's been rumored for years now at this point and it feels almost like the worst kept secret that Apple is working <laughs> on both AR and VR and a car, like the those two things have been 
widely speculated and rumored about, uh, but it really feels like some kind of AR or VR headset is is coming fairly soon, maybe as close as this year's WWDC. We're going to see a first version of it. And one thing that has been uh, speculated on from different people is that maybe the first iteration and the first thing that we see perhaps at WWDC is some kind of dedicated VR device where it's not AR in terms of you're wearing eyeglasses and they have this smart display on them where you can just see things around you in an augmented reality kind of way, but more like a classic VR headset that you wear that is a little bit more bulky, that can have all those kind of processing components inside of it. Maybe it will be tethered to a Mac. Maybe it will be a standalone device. So we might be seeing like different kinds of iterations here, but I think that it's very likely that the same SDK and the same development stack will be used for both if there will be a VR-specific device and then later a more AR-specific device. Or what do you think, Rambo? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, And I think the main topic here is we want to kind of play Apple in a sense and try to come up with what the stack would look like or what we would like the stack to be, the development stack and and how things are going to work or how we would like them to work. And I think we can start with what we know already. So we know based on the very little information that seeped out that this is based on iOS And that doesn't mean that it has a home screen and app icons. That this means that it's a flavor of iOS, just like tvOS, watchOS, and all of other OSs. Even we can even say that macOS, in a way, is a flavor of iOS these days. Even though it's ooh, that's a controversial statement. (laughs) I mean, it's it's not really, but there's so much iOS in it where it almost is. Uh, Mac OS is the ugly duck of operating systems right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, not that it's ugly or anything. I love Mac OS, but it's, it's just very different from other OSs that Apple has because everything is basically iOS. tvOS is iOS, and the way it works is, is kind of fascinating. And as someone who's been looking into the guts of Apple's operating systems for quite a while and basically diffing each new release to see what's new and and what's changed. I find it fascinating how it changed from back in the iOS 11 days when I was doing the whole HomePod spelunking and things like that. And how if you look at what's been changed within the structure of the operating system lends itself very well to basically iOS becoming more like a, an operating system toolkit, like a, a tool chain to build operating systems where Apple can swap out parts and swap in other parts and use a different shell app. So you have on iOS, you have Springboard, you have Soundboard on HomePod and Headboard and Pineboard on tvOS. So it's fascinating how I, I feel like it. it's probably, and again, uh, I am not there. I don't know how these things work, but I don't think it's a ton of work for if someone has an idea within Apple to take iOS and make a flavor just to try things out. I'm sure it's more difficult than the SwiftUI prototypes we talked about last week, but (laughs) it's probably not a huge undertaking for them to take 
iOS and make another flavor of it. Yeah, and that's the big power of modularization in general, right? That yeah. you can kind of enable and disable certain components dynamically and the whole system keeps working and you can have different connection points, like almost like protocol-oriented programming, right? Yeah. But on a OS level where you can have like a protocol or interface that a home screen or an app launcher needs to conform to, and then you can have very different UIs on different platforms. So on iOS, you have a home screen with Springboard, and then you have the, a different app launcher on watchOS, and presumably on in reality OS, we will have a another different way of launching applications and managing applications because the form factor will be so different. So like you mentioned, we will probably not see just a grid of app icons, there will probably be something different. Yeah, back in, in iOS or iPhone OS 1, basically Springboard, the home screen UI, was the was everything. The, the Windows server, it managed the life cycle of app processes and things like that. And then they slowly moved things away from that model with front board and back board and base board and all of the other boards that they have. And I think it was more recently that they introduced uh, something called running board, which as far as I'm aware, is what handles all of the life cycle now of the processes. So they can use the same components. Uh, and I think it's even on macOS and the unified app model that was mentioned when they introduced Catalyst to developers was, I think, a product of this unification. So you have the thing that runs and controls the life cycle of processes, but whatever renders those processes or whatever launches those processes is a different thing. And this is great modularization because they can have all of these different flavors of iOS, but they don't each have a completely different way of launching apps, for instance. It all works fairly similar between them. And of course, if there are bugs, they can fix it in that component and it fixes it for all operating systems. At the same time, if they introduce a bug <laughs> in, in one OS, it probably also shows up in others. At least it's consistent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so yeah, it, it's really, really fascinating uh, how modular these OSs are these days. Yeah, and also presumably, again, without knowing much about the actual implementation of these modular components, but presumably, since you can take things out and add new things in, depending on the platform, depending on the needs of that specific device, things also become more kind of lightweight in the process, where... If you want Reality OS to be a flavor of iOS, it doesn't mean that you're running like Reality OS on top of iOS, right? Yeah. It doesn't mean that everything has to go to, through an additional layer of abstraction, which of course would make things slower. And that's probably the opposite of what you want in a very lightweight form factor, like a watch or a pair of eyeglasses and so on. So it also feels like this work they've been doing to modularize the operating systems can also help me make things more performant for specific tasks that they can be you know, fast-tracked for the specific device, depending on what the device needs. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so speaking now of development for these devices, I think it's safe to assume that there's going to be a development story behind this and there's going to be frameworks and, and an SDK for developers and there's even some sort of simulator in there. 
what do you think developing for this will be like? What what type of framework are we going to be using? Is it going to be SwiftUI, uh, AR, UI, whatever? <laughs> what do you think Apple is cooking in terms of an SDK for this thing? So what's really interesting here is that the platforms that we have so far from Apple, they... With some slight variations, they're still fundamentally kind of rendering the same type of user interfaces where you have a screen and you interact with that screen like in a 2D kind of way. Even if we're running a 3D application like a game or a 3D editor, it's still like a two-dimensional projection of that world onto the screen. And of course, with AR VR, it's also at the end of the day, like being rendered in a two, on a 2D way, but it's just made to look more like a 3D if we're Talking about like VR headsets, for example, they render things on on screens for both of your two eyes so that things look 3D. Yeah, it's stereo versus mono, right? Yeah, exactly. So when we were moving from like macOS to iOS to watchOS to tvOS, even though like tvOS, it has a remote, so it's a little bit different in terms of how you interact with it. But fundamentally, like the UI frameworks and the way UI is rendered and the way we build it is very, very similar. And the watch, of course, has to take a couple of shortcuts in the beginning because of the low power of the hardware. So we had to use the watch kit, but now we can use SwiftUI. So if you look at SwiftUI, like it's this unifying framework now across all of Apple's platforms, and we can build views in a very, very similar way, even if we might tweak it here and there for the different input methods like the focus engine on tvOS or mouse and keyboard on the Mac or when your iPad is connected to the keyboard um, case. So in VR and AR then, it's going to be interesting to see how is this going to be different because we're now in this 3D environment. So I think Apple is going to need two different things. They're going to need one UI framework for rendering kind of the overlays and the UI that is still projected in a more 2D fashion. Um, like if you're running a game in VR, you probably have like your health bar and your menus and your actions and things like that rendered on the side, like on top of the actual scene that is being rendered. So the actual user interface or the heads up display of the game or the VR content. And so that will be one thing. And then you have the 3D scene itself. So if we're talking about VR, that means a complete... 3D world that you're seeing that is, you're not seeing the outside world, you're just in this VR environment. And then for AR, you will need to render 3D objects on top of the existing world, so similar to what ARKit does. So my guess would be that they will probably use SwiftUI for the 2D UI parts, because it just feels like such a good fit, and it feels like where Apple is heading, and this is a brand new platform, so why not base it on Apple's latest UI framework, it's already cross-platform across all of their other platforms, so why not add Reality OS here as well? And because it's so declarative, it can also be adapted by the system to fit well in either AR or VR. And then another technology that they already have is ARKit, which I think they will continue to leverage, and also Reality Kit as well for just the rendering part, they will continue to leverage those for the actual 3D scene. So I wouldn't be surprised to see SwiftUI as the UI story and ARKit and RealityKit for the 3D world story. Yeah, I feel like maybe what could happen here is SwiftUI for not just UI, but also for 3D content built on top of RealityKit, which builds on top of ARKit itself 
I, I find fascinating the fact that we're talking about reality OS and there's a framework called Reality Kit. Uh, so there must right. be a connection between those. <laughs> uh, and I, I feel like, and I, I think this was speculated about when Reality Kit came out and Reality Composer as well that this was something Apple was doing in preparation for some new hardware. And the way uh, Reality Kit works, which, to be completely honest, I haven't used it that much. I've done a few things here and there, but nothing major. It, it, it is interesting, the way it works, because it, it kind of plays a little bit the role of SwiftUI, in, in a sense, where you basically tell it what to do and it figures out how to do it instead of you having to specify each little step and it has all of these pre-built components and interactions uh, so instead of of course you have things on, on screen but if you are wearing a headset you're not going to be tapping things on screen so it has interactions where you can say trigger this when the user is physically, and I'm making air quotes here because it's not physically, it's virtually, but uh, in the 3D space, trigger this when the user is close to this element, to this node, this cube, whatever. Uh, and it is similar to SwiftUI in a way because you as a developer, you don't have to be like monitoring the distance and calculating if the user is looking at the object. No, it just tell the object that its behavior is this, and it just does it. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned that SwiftUI might be gaining some capabilities for 3D content, and I think one way to think about it might be to look at what we already have in SwiftUI in terms of 2D drawing. Mm -hmm. So one really cool aspect of SwiftUI compared to AppKit and UIKit is we can combine both buttons and lists and other switches and other kind of UI elements with shapes and gradients and colors and you know circles and rounded rectangles and so on, all within the same view hierarchy. And maybe SwiftUI on this platform will be able to draw things like spheres, right? And cubes and these sorts of things. Maybe you can inline that within your existing view hierarchy and then that will be rendered in 3D and then your buttons and your lists and your other UI will be rendered on top using... Uh, more kind of traditional UI controls. It really gives a whole new meaning to Z-Stack, doesn't it, Randall? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it, it is a 3D Z-Stack now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so just like how, how you now have lazy V-Stack and lazy H-Stack, maybe you will have depth Z-Stack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so something also that I think is interesting to speculate is the simulator aspect. Uh, so we know that there's going to be some sort of simulator, or at least there is one that Apple uses internally, but I feel like they will want to offer something like that for developers. And it feels to me like the simulator ecosystem has become more important to Apple in, in a way because more recent additions to iOS hardware have been better reflected in the simulator than they've done in the past. So things like the nearby interaction framework, you can simulate it using the simulator. You can have two simulator windows and you can move the windows around on screen to simulate the physical position of the devices, which I think was a, a clever way to do it. Uh, and I was thinking, how would you simulate a headset that you wear and you move around on 3D space, of course you could 
have the virtual camera and move it around with your mouse. I think, of course, that makes a lot of sense. But then I thought about other possibilities, and and I think it, it's quite likely that they're going to offer something like that. And if not, I guess we could also do it ourselves as developers, but they've been releasing hardware with lots of cameras and sensors for quite a while, and you have even a LiDAR camera or sensor or whatever in most of the recent top-of-the-line devices. So what if I could go around my apartment and capture a, a session using the sensors on my iPhone, and then I could bring that into my Mac as the input for the simulator? So instead of moving a virtual camera around with a mouse or with controls... I could go around a physical environment using one of these devices, then bring a little capture file into the simulator. And not only could I then preview what my experience would look like in the real world, but I could also have it in a repeatable manner so that I could test things. Yeah, that sounds super interesting. It's almost like you're doing your own little motion capturing session, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. I think that would be super useful, and I definitely hope that something like that would exist, where you could, like you say, create like real-life movement and then simulate it on your Mac in 2D. Because just projecting a 3D scene on a Mac like in 2D, that's a solved problem. We've been able to do that for decades now, so... Yeah. That shouldn't be a problem. Just have a viewport that you can see and maybe you can move around, like you said, almost like a first-person shooter where you can move around with a mouse and keyboard, right? Yeah. Uh, but actually having that capture session or even be able to just like connect your iPhone and do it in real time, maybe both have those capturing aspects like uh, recording the movements, but also do it in real time. Maybe they will even release something like the Google Cardboard where you can put <laughs> your iPhone in a cardboard uh, enclosure and put it on your face and that's your VR preview device. <laughs> Apple Cardboard. It's uh, right. $299 and <laughs> it's going to be sold out in, in two minutes. And it's made from the, the perfect cardboard with a nice white finish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the development aspect there is really interesting. Like, what will the development environment look like in the simulator and so on? Because it's, again, kind of a very different challenge from simulating something like even a TVOS TV, like that's still a, the same kind of display as you have on your Mac. So it will be very interesting to see how they will solve that. This week's episode of Stack Trace is brought to you by Sentry. Sentry helps iOS developers monitor the performance of their code. With Sentry, you can quickly identify performance issues. And whenever an issue was detected, then you will get the full end-to-end -end distributed trace info so that you can see exactly where a poor performing API call was made and what caused it. With Sentry, you can detect and measure anything from both cold and warm app launches, slow frame rendering, freezes, and other UI glitches, and much more, so that you can then improve your mobile app's performance for maximum efficiency without requiring maximum effort from you and your team. So head over to sentry.io slash four slash iOS, or just use the link that's in the show notes to help support this podcast and to try Sentry for free for your iOS app. And if you use our special promo code STACKTRACE during sign up, then you will get to use Sentry for free for three whole months. 
Once again, that's sentry.io slash four slash iOS, or just use the link that's in the show notes. And remember to use that offer code STACKTRACE when signing up for that special three-month offer. Thanks a lot to Sentry for sponsoring this episode of Stacktrace. Uh, when it comes to actual 3D content then, so we talked about the UI, like how that could be rendered and simulator and so on. But when you're going to actually create 3D content for these types of applications, do you think that we will be required to actually create 3D models to use tools like Blender or other kind of 3D model authoring tools and then import those as different object files? Or do you think there will be a different kind of system for creating 3D content for these apps? That's one of the big things I mentioned in that article that I am contractually obligated to mention every time we talk about AR and VR, <laughs> which uh, I wrote for WDC by Sandel two years ago, was that? Something like that, yeah. yeah. I think actually it was even before it was WWDC by Sundell and Friends. It was a guest article on the first edition, I think. Yeah, I think so. So yeah, um, I, I think that's the big thing that Apple needs to solve in terms of development uh, because we do have quite a vibrant development community around Apple's platforms and not all of it is composed of big companies with a budget to like hire people to do 3D modeling and 3D content creation is a lot more difficult like and I mean a lot more difficult than just regular uh, 2D UIs and, and things like that. So they have something like that with Reality Kit. It kind of works like that. They have a bunch of pre-made models that you can use for free. You can always buy models. Like I've purchased lots of models for Apple wireless devices that I use to create animations in everybody and whatnot. But it's complicated. Like uh, creating 3D content, not easy. And if we want a, a vibrant community of developers and not just game companies to be making content for this thing there will have to be a way for us developers who are not that into 3d stuff to get 3d models and create them easily or some form of 3d content uh, creation or library that we can use to make our content yeah so apple already offers reality composer which enables you to create like AR scenes using a kind of more high-level tool. It's almost like interface builder, but for AR, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting that you mentioned like, like the, the kind of library aspect, like having some kind of library of 3D models, because if you look at the two big game engines, uh, Unreal Engine from Epic Games and Unity, they have both made a lot of acquisitions in the last couple of years to kind of provide developers with 3D libraries of, of different objects and so on. For example... With Unreal Engine now, you have access to a library called Quixel Megascans, which is really a huge library of 3D scanned objects from the real world, which you can use to build your environment. So you have things like trees and stones and cliffs and things like that. So it's really, really useful. You can just bring that into your Unreal Engine-powered game and have it all there for free. And it would be very interesting if Apple would provide something similar, like a similar kind of 3D object library that you could use and tweak to fit kind of the the mood or the visual aspect of your game or your 3D application. Maybe they would have something because they currently have SF symbols for icons, right? Yeah. Maybe there will be something like SF models. Nice. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. 
Or then maybe they'll just open up another store, the Apple 3D store for 3D artists, and they're going <laughs> to get 30% commission. <laughs> right, exactly. And if you use your own payment system, it's only 27%. <laughs> yeah, but only if your 3D models are for online dating. <laughs> right, in, in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands. <laughs> yeah. All right, so um, the next question then would be, um, if if they then provide a nice way to create 3D content, whether it's like some kind of library that we can use or maybe continuing to build on Reality Composer or some other way to, to make it more accessible uh, in terms of creating 3D environments and 3D worlds, how could we then place those objects and those worlds on the screen? So in VR, we can imagine that when you're in a virtual reality kind of environment, you can get control over the whole scene. So you basically would get some kind of scene object, kind of similar to if you have a scene kit-based app, you work in the scene, you can place nodes in that scene, and you can just render anything you want. Like you can render any background or skybox or any world that you want to do, and you can probably have complete control over all those 3D objects and what you want to put there. But when it comes to AR, I think things will have to be a little bit different because, well, you're going to be rendering things right into the user's viewport, like not just the viewport on the screen, but their actual viewport, like their yeah. their uh, the way they look with their eyes. So I would imagine that that would be a little bit more limited because, well, it has a lot of different aspects that have to be considered in terms of health and safety and so on. And we can already see this with CarPlay, that when you want to build a CarPlay-based app, which also has a lot of kind of safety concerns in the car, you have to go through an extra process. There are lots of limitations, what you can render in your CarPlay app and so on. And we're also seeing with widgets that it's also more constrained for a different reason, where there Apple wants to be able to render our UIs in a very efficient way on the home screen. So there they went for a more limited version of Swift UIs API so that they can then serialize those views and then save them and, and save them for later so they can be rendered in a very efficient way. So I'm thinking like, what would those limitations be when it comes to AR specifically? Will we be able to just place arbitrary 3D objects in the user's field of view? Or will there be a different kind of API for doing that? What do you think, Rambo? I think the there's a big difference here when it comes to the actual hardware. So right now, uh, the thing we're going to see probably fairly soon is a VR headset. So a thing that you wear when you want to go into a virtual reality and have a, an experience there. And then you take them off and, and continue on with your day. And I don't think Apple has... Any intentions of making anything meta-like? Uh, I am particularly not fond of the whole metaverse thing. I, I really think it's uh, quite dystopian. And I don't think Apple would go into that realm. So I think in terms of VR, Apple's idea is this is something for you to have fun, maybe some professional use, like uh, architecture and things like that or for an online meeting, and you use it for a while, and then you take it off, and that's it. Uh, so for that experience, for that product, I don't think there are going to be many limitations. I think it's going to be pretty much like Apple's other mobile OSs, where you launch an app, you use the app, you close the app, and that's it. Uh, and the things change a lot, though, when you think about something you'd wear like your Apple Watch throughout the day. So then I think Apple would be 
a lot more conservative with with what can be done. But I think that's quite a few years away. So I'm not sure if we want to go into that too much today because, yeah, we're probably not going to see the thing you wear for the whole day like Apple Watch for, I don't know, five years or something, uh, maybe, uh, maybe even longer. So for the VR headsets, I don't think it's going to be too limited. I think you will launch into an experience and the experience has as much control over the device as an iOS app would have over your iPhone. Yeah, but what's interesting here, though, the challenge would be if this is the same OS and it's the same set of APIs and the same set of developer tools for both of these two types of devices. So if you have a VR device and an AR device, but they're both running reality OS and we have the same kind of API for both then, you know, how would that work? Like, how could they ensure portability between the two devices in terms of our code uh, if, you know, they don't think about this up front? So I think they would need to consider all of these things already, even if the AR device might be years away. Yeah, I, I, I do think so as well. But I still think that even with the AR device, there will be a way for you to launch into an experience. I feel like it's going to be very similar to watchOS in that sense. Most people don't use watchOS apps as apps, like actually tapping the icon on the home screen uh, or the little honeycomb thing and using it in full screen on watchOS. Most people use complications, they rely on notifications and things like that. So I think the main experience for the AR glasses or whatever is going to be very similar to the watch and i also think they're going to rely on app clip codes uh not not necessarily app clips themselves although that could play a part but i mean the codes that they made for app clips there's evidence from quite a while back that the development of that was kind of tied into the whole ar vr thing um, but I still think that even in the AR thing, you will be able to, just like with your Apple Watch, you can go in and launch into a full-blown watch app that has the full rectangle of the screen to itself. So, because, like, let's say I have the AR glasses and I want to play some game, like, the game must have some control over the whole area of my my field of vision so i still feel like that will be an option but of course in terms of what you can do without the user explicitly launching your app i think that's going to be really limited probably even more so than on watchOS because it can be quite disturbing it it's a thing that's always in front of your eyes and there can be health and safety issues even involved so I, I do think they're going to be very conservative with what apps can do when they're not the full screen app. But I do think there will be the flexibility for an app to go into this full screen mode. And I, I think maybe even the initial crop or the, the first version is not that it's going to be like watchOS 1 where the app runs on your iPhone, but maybe it's going to be an extension to an iOS app, or maybe you're not going to have a separate app. You're going to use the same app as you could run on your iPhone, but it's going to use a different scene type. And I think the introduction of the whole scene API to UIKit also plays a part. Uh, as far as I know, that's how CarPlay works nowadays. You basically have 
a different type of scene that you declare that's your CarPlay scene. And you can also have, uh, on iPad, you can have a separate scene for an external display. And I can see something like that being the case here as well. Right, yeah, I think those are some good ideas. I wouldn't honestly be surprised if all that the AR device would do would be display some kind of widgets or complications and notifications, like basically like the watch home screen, like like you said. And that might seem disappointing to a lot of people, like that's all the device will do. But I think if you would combine that with a lot of cleverness in terms of the system as to when does each notification or each complication and so on get shown, and you have maybe something like system-level data detectors where if you have an app that lets you see what prices are available for a given product in the store, for example. Let's say that you could register then for like the uh, object product data detection so that when the system will detect uh, that you're looking at, let's say, a TV in a store, then it would show you like a price comparison next to it as a notification so that rather than you like building the UI and everything and showing it from scratch, you will just provide the data and the data detection and then show things using some kind of notification or complication system. I think that could also work really well. Yeah, and again, lining up with Apple's, quote, philosophy and also the way I tend to use my devices, I wouldn't want like notifications from iMessage to pop up on my AR glasses there will probably be an option, I guess, but I don't think the default will be like it is for an Apple Watch where basically it mirrors all notifications from your iPhone. I think uh, I wouldn't want any notifications on my glasses. Like we were talking about my uh, digital detoxing and how I turned <laughs> off all notifications. I think that would be like a nightmare to have notifications pop up literally on my face. Uh, <laughs> so I wouldn't want that. But yeah, I all of those uh, experiences that are completely useless where you get like your iPhone and you enter an AR app and you point your iPhone to an object and it shows some stuff in 3D space, which again, I feel like are completely useless on something that you have to hold like an iPhone because it's usually faster and easier to just get into the information if you want to use your iPhone anyway, all of those experiences make a lot of sense and become really delightful in something like AR glasses, where say, uh, again, I make an app called AirBuddy, so I, I'm always thinking about this sort of stuff. I have my AirPods Pro on the table here inside the charging case. If I could just look at them and it shows in 3D space what the current battery level is, that would be way cooler and way easier than grabbing them, opening the case, waiting for the status to show up on, on one of my devices. So that sort of experience, like I mentioned, the data detector type of thing is what makes the most sense to me in an AR product that you wear throughout the day. And I can even think about like object detection. Apple has been highlighting object detection for a couple of WWDCs now, so maybe I could register a custom trigger. So when I look at my water bottle, it shows how much water I've had today or something yeah. like that. So yeah, I think that's what's going to be the, quote, killer app for AR glasses. Yeah, exactly. And I think when we think about notifications, like it's so easy to just fall into the trap of thinking of 
how they look like today, right? Like yeah. on the iPhone, notifications coming from the top or they're shown as an alert, or on the Mac, they're at the top right corner of the screen. But I agree with you. I wouldn't want that in on my glasses. Like I wouldn't want every time I get a message for, uh, for one of those alerts to like slide in from the right and just show prominently, <laughs> like taking up like 25% of my vision, like I have a new iMessage. But more maybe think about it as those kind of contextual like uh, overlays that are displayed in 3D space as you look around. Like that could be, I think, less intrusive. It could also be really cool and really useful. Like you said, like looking at certain objects trigger certain overlays. I'm sure there's going to be spectacular bugs where you're going to look at your friend <laughs> and you see you had this much water today, right? Because your friend looks like a water bottle to the system. <laughs> so that's going to be fun. Uh, but I think that could be also like a really cool use case for a product like this. It's not just an Apple Watch, but on your face, but actually using the form factor to do something brand new. Yeah, and also people tend to think about this very much like an Iron Man heads-up display kind of thing. And we've actually been doing that when talking about these notifications. But I think the the big feature here is actual integration into the real world. That's what augmented reality is about. Not about showing a heads-up display in front of your eyes, but uh, again, with the notification thing, maybe if I look at my iPhone... Even though my iPhone is with the screen off and across the room, it could show like a little floating thing on top of my iPhone. Hey, you have a notification from John. And I could, I don't know, wink to (laughs) view the notification or something like that. So I feel like integrating information into the real world is more interesting than these heads-up displays. Not that they are useless or that they don't have their place, but... I really feel like with all of the work Apple has been doing, their focus is going to be on actually augmenting reality and not just being a heads-up display like an Iron Man kind of thing. Yeah, because if you're talking about a heads-up display, you're still in 2D space, right? Like you're still just projecting a 2D UI on top of the real world while like what you're talking about and what I also think would be way more interesting is an integration of the real world with actual 3D objects placed in the real world. And that's when AR really shines. Like using the IKEA app, for example, to preview what a couch would look like in my room in actual 3D space is really cool. Like that is already cool on the iPad. It would be even cooler on AR glasses, I think. So yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And of course, a great kind of canonical example of this would be navigation. Or if you're walking around in a city, you would see like, arrows on the floor or arrows on the ground instead of having to look at your phone all the time. So, you know, that could also be a cool thing. Like living life in tutorial mode. Right, exactly. (laughs) So that is an interesting challenge, though, because if you look at the AR products that have come out so far, and of course, a very popular or infamous almost example of that is Google Glass. And there's been a couple of other prototypes being shown by different companies. And most of them seem to use like a little display that is like at the corner of your vision. But what we're talking about here and what we're imagining would pretty much require a screen that can just cover your entire field of view. Like the entire glass pane of your eyeglasses are just one big screen. Do you think that's technically realistic in the year 2022? No, I absolutely don't. And that's why I, I said that I think the AR thing is probably at least five years away, if not longer. 
Um, I definitely don't feel like that's what we're getting this year or, or even next year. I feel like this year it's VR headset. Maybe it can have a little AR mode, but it won't be that relevant. Uh, and I think the big deal will be in the future when this becomes possible. And we have reports from, from analysts and, and things like that mentioning that this is their goal. Uh, and it's going to be quite different because, yeah, like I mentioned, it's going to be able to cover most of your field of view at least. And also the reality that you'll be seeing will be the actual reality. So if you have an augmented reality app on your iPhone, you're seeing the reality through the iPhone camera and not the actual reality. But in this case, what I imagine is transparent or a translucent screen that projects things into the reality that you are looking at, which is quite interesting and difficult. Yeah, so something that is usually referred to as mixed reality, I guess, right? Yeah. Where you essentially have a device that has cameras that is then capturing the reality around you and then mixing that with some kind of VR content and VR a VR world and then that's what you see, but you're still wearing a device that is fully encapsulating your field of view, so you're not wearing eyeglasses but more like a VR headset. Yeah, no, but but you're seeing the actual reality, not through a lens. That that's what I mean, like the the glasses are not replacing the reality with something captured by a camera. The, your eyes are seeing the actual reality, but it's just overlaying stuff on top of it. Right. Yeah, that would be really interesting. So I think this is also an area where Apple could potentially innovate quite a lot, where they are very good at miniaturizing silicon and miniaturizing computers. We've seen that already with the Apple Watch, and we're seeing it now with the new Macs, which are you know, can be smaller and thinner and have passive cooling in the case of the MacBook Air, but still be a like really capable machine. So uh, what do you think about like what what approach Apple would take to the actual hardware design here? If we focus on this first iteration first, like the more VR or mixed reality focused device, uh, what kind of form factor do you think that would be? Like what would the industrial design look like? I think, um, if I'm remembering correctly, it was Digitimes or someone like that who made a, a mock-up based on uh, supposedly information they got from the inside. And it kind of looked like a, a mix between AirPods Max and Apple Watch, in a sense. And it, their mock-up looked kind of cool. I'll see if I can find a link to put in the show notes. Uh, and I think that's quite possible that it will look something like that. Uh, and I think it's feasible that it will use an M1-like chip, like I think Mark Gurman mentioned in a recent report. I think that's perfectly viable, given that we have M1 on an iPad Pro as well. They can tune the performance characteristics to fit a given form factor, and it's not going to be ultra-portable, like super compact. I think it's going to be a little bit big like most vr headsets are they're not particularly small uh i think it's going to have apple's industrial design so that's why i like the idea that it will be like this uh mix of concepts from airpods max and, and apple watch uh but yeah I, I think m1 type chip and not particularly small or at least not that much smaller than other products on the market Right. Yeah, I think that's a good set of speculations. 
Uh, what about the tethering? Do you think it will be tethered to either an iPhone or a Mac? Or will that be an option maybe in order to get even more power? Or do you think it will be a completely standalone device, something like an iPhone that has its own battery, it's just running by itself, it's just operating by itself? And it's interesting to compare here again to the watch where originally the Apple Watch was running the apps on the iPhone and then just kind of projecting the UI onto the watch and handling the interactions there. And then over time, watch apps became more standalone and it now has its own app store and it's kind of its own ecosystem. What do you think will happen here in in terms of the, the AR, VR things? Do you think it will be tethered to some existing device in the beginning, either like in terms of running the apps, in terms of power, or in terms of the app store? Or do you think it will be more standalone on day one? I have a strong feeling that at least on day one and and for the first year, this will be something that in order to take advantage of it, you'll need an iPhone or an iPad. Uh, Maybe it won't be like the Apple Watch because the Apple Watch currently you need an iPhone. Like you can't set up an Apple Watch using an iPad. I think it's going to be more like AirPods, where if you have an Apple device, and I don't think the Mac is going to be on the mix, unfortunately. Maybe I I can make a headset buddy or something. (laughs) Um, So I don't think the Mac is going to be an option, uh, at least not unless you're a developer and you want to use Xcode and and whatnot. But I I feel like it's going to be less tethered than an Apple Watch. So let's say semi-tethered. So I, I think you're going to have to use your iPhone or iPad to do the initial setup and log in with your Apple ID and, and that stuff. And also if you want to install apps, uh, I, I feel like that's going to be the case, but you won't like actually need your iPhone nearby in order to use the thing. Right, because when you are rendering a AR or VR environment rather than just a watch UI, we're talking about like, the need for low latency and the need for like rendering things that are way more complicated is going to be very different, right? Where you wouldn't want all of all of the frames that you're displaying to be rendered on the phone because you need to render at like 90 frames per second or even higher in order for people to not get motion sick. So uh, latency here is really a big concern. So I think you want the rendering to happen locally, but then you might be talking to the iPhone for certain things like networking. Maybe it won't have its own like 4G or 5G uh, antenna. Maybe it will leverage the iPhone or an iPad for the networking aspects. That's possible. And also like a shortcut could be to say it doesn't have its own app store on day one. You're just leveraging the iOS app store to download apps and maybe apps are bundled as an extension like they were with, with watchOS in the beginning. So something similar like that, just to kind of get the get the platform out there and get things going. But then over time, just like watchOS, it might be getting more and more independent as time goes on. Yeah, I don't think Apple wants to have more app stores like additional separate app stores anymore. They've shown that with the unification of the Mac App Store, the App Store, the Watch App Store. It's pretty much the same store now, everything. Uh, and I don't feel they would go the other way with this. Uh, it, it would probably be on the same App Store and each app has the operating systems it supports and the devices it supports. And you just happen to have an app there that supports Reality OS as well as the other OSs. So yeah, I, I think that that would make uh, sense. The The latency thing you mentioned, like I'm really curious because... Whatever Apple makes here will probably be my first VR headset that I own. Uh, Don't own one, haven't owned one because I'm not into gaming. 
And there's something about me that, like, I I don't get motion sickness on boats or roller coasters or uh, name anything that people get motion sickness from. I don't get it. But I am very sensitive to 3D first-person content. Uh, sometimes, like, even if I'm watching someone, like I'm watching a gameplay on YouTube of someone playing uh, a first-person shooter, I, I get sick. Like, I get dizzy and I have to look away. Uh, so I'm really curious to see how my body is going to react to a <laughs> VR headset. I, I've never actually used a VR headset in my life. Oh, wow. Mainly because of this. Like, I didn't even feel like trying because I didn't want to get sick. Right. Um, so we'll see if Apple does a, a good job at that. And I think that's also a big challenge with these devices. Uh, if you want them to become more broadly used by all sorts of people. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that is extremely key here is the consistency of the rendering and the frame rate. So, for example, if you're watching someone play like a first-person shooter on YouTube, a lot of the times that will be a 30 frames per second video based on maybe a 60 frames per second game, right? Yeah. And then you're already way more prone to motion sickness. So now with the latest generation of games and the, the new consoles uh, I've been playing on my Xbox Series X, I've gotten so used to 60 frames per second that now when I go and play a 30 frames per second game, I also kind of get motion sickness. <laughs> and it's kind of funny because the last generation on my PlayStation 4 and so on, I was just playing 30 frames per second games all the time and I wouldn't get motion sickness. So a lot of it is down to the consistency of the rendering. And with VR, the standard is usually 90 frames per second. So way more smooth, which is required to not make people feel motion sickness. And there's a lot of other things that go into it. It's not just the frame rate, but it's also like how... Um, black frames might be inserted between like you're turning off the pixels when you're not refreshing and so on that can also contribute to more or less motion sickness uh so i think that will be a big focus also here the kind of the consistency of the rendering and also like it's just a thing you can get used to like when i first got my i got the very first oculus rift like the development kit when it first came out through kickstarter and I was very motion sick, sick in the <laughs> beginning when I was using that. But then I got used to it. Then I got the PlayStation VR and I was less motion sick. And as I've been using more VR, I'm, I'm definitely not a very seasoned VR user yet. I don't use it that often, but I can tell that I get more and more used to it. So I think that will also be an aspect here. Nice. Just take some Dramamine or something and, and go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to get your VR legs, just like how you have to get sea legs when you're you know starting to... <laughs> starting to sail on a boat. All right, so hope you enjoyed our speculation here, both around what the development story might look like for Apple's rumored slash upcoming AR VR uh, devices. And uh, let us know what you think. You can always uh, tweet at us uh, or send us your feedback through email. Uh, if you want to contact us through Twitter, uh, my username is at Johnsondell and Rambo is at underscore inside. And our email is stacktrace at 9to5mac.com. You can also feel free to ask us any questions that you have, either about AR, VR, or anything else, uh, by either tweeting with the hashtag AskStackTrace or by sending us an email to that email address I just mentioned, stacktrace at 9to5mac.com. Uh, thanks so much for listening to this uh, little special episode of Stacktrace. We will be back with a regular episode next week. But until then, thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much to Sentry for sponsoring this episode. And we will talk to you again next week. So say goodbye, Mr. Rambo. 
Goodbye.